You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, September 16th, 2021. I'm Ivy Winfrey. And I'm Portia Cook. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates in campus news, and I'll be covering how the Aurora Police Department was found to be racially biased. After that, Eliza Droder updates us on CSU's athletics, and then you'll hear a conversation between Dr. Joe Von Fisher and myself about his work on the proposed government agency, ARPA-C. Then Coda Babcock tells us about how the World Anti-Doping Agency is reconsidering their stance on marijuana use, and we hear from professors and employees in the Department of Art and History about their exhibit, which premieres tonight. After that, Portia gives new information on COVID-19, and to conclude the show, I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon with KCSU, and you're listening to your campus news. We're towards the end of our fourth week of our fall semester. Shocking posters were placed on campus with extremely insulting and misleading phrases about diversity on them in an act of white supremacy. The posters were reported by students to the faculty in the Ethnic Studies Department. Ethnic Studies stated on Instagram, We promote teaching, research, and community engagement that seek to dismantle the harmful systems that segregate, misinform, and divide all of us signaled by these posters. To help spread support to those that were harmed in this offense, you can download and spread flyers on the Ethnic Studies Department Instagram page. The Colorado State University Public Safety Team issued a report to the campus community regarding an indecent exposure incident on the morning of September 14th. The CSU Police Department received reports around 11.30 a.m. on Tuesday about an unclothed male in the lot on the corner of Plum and Shield Street. He then was seen in the parking lot of Westfall Hall and then traveling north on Shield Street. The male looked to be in his 20s and had short black hair. If anyone has more information, please contact the CSUPD at 970-491-6425. You can watch the CSU versus CSU game with Women Give this Saturday, September 18th. Tickets are free and it will be held at Moby Arena. The game will start at 1 p.m. Make sure to tune into the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m., And thanks for listening to your campus news. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is KCSU on 90.5 FM. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and here's our local news for today on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. The City of Fort Collins is seeking applicants to serve on its recently revamped volunteer boards and commissions. According to J.C. Marmaduke at the Coloradoan, the recruiting period is the city's first since council made several changes to its 25 boards and commissions to make membership more accessible for community members. The boards now include one, two, and four-year terms rather than all four-year terms, an option for remote meetings, and reduced residency requirement. Applicants previously had to have lived in the city's growth management area for at least a year before applying. Now they just need to live in the growth management area while they serve on the board. Interim City Clerk Tammy Pushek says that you, if you apply for a position on a city board, your term would likely begin in January 2022 unless you are filling a vacancy. Most or all of the city's boards and commissions will have open positions come January. Applications are due by 11.59, the night of October 10th. To apply and find which positions are available, you can visit engage.fcgov.com. 
Applicants can apply to more than one board, but can only serve on one at a time. If you previously applied to a city board this year, your application will remain in the pool, and you don't need to apply. Colorado's Attorney General says that a civil rights investigation has found that the Aurora Police Department has a pattern of racially biased policing. According to Patty Norbert at the Associated Press, Attorney General Phil Weiser said the investigation found the department has long had a culture in which officers treat people of color, especially black people, differently than white people. He said the agency also has a pattern of using unlawful, excessive force, frequently escalates encounters with civilians, and fails to properly document police interactions with residents. Weiser urge the police department to commit to recommended reforms in officer training, its policies on use of force, and especially stricter standards for police stops and arrests. If it fails to do so, he said his office will seek a court order compelling the department to do so, but he noted the department fully cooperated with the investigation. The investigation started amid outrage over the death of Elijah McClain, who died following a police stop on August 24, 2019. During the stop, officers for the Aurora Police Department uh, put McLean in a chokehold and pinned him down. Paramedics injected him with 500 milligrams of ketamine, an amount that was too much for his body weight. He fell unconscious, was pronounced brain dead at a hospital, and was taken off life support. The state civil rights probe, announced in August 2020, was the first of its kind under a sweeping police accountability law passed in Colorado the month before, amid protests over the killing of McLean and George Floyd. Weiser said his office wants a state agreement with Aurora, called a consent decree, to be submitted to the court. The decree would specify what the city and department must do to fulfill his investigation's recommendations. The Colorado Police Accountability Law made it unlawful for police officers or other employees or government agencies to deprive people of their constitutional rights and gave the attorney general the power to enforce it. Under the law, if the attorney general finds an agency that has, quote, a pattern or practice end quote, of violating people's rights, the attorney general must notify the agency of the reasons for that belief and give it 60 days to make changes. If the agency does not make changes, the attorney general can file a lawsuit to force them. Weiser's office is also prosecuting three police officers and two paramedics on manslaughter, criminally negligent homicide, and assault charges in McLean's death. A grand jury indicted all five last week. That's all the local news for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Abby from the Collegian at Rocky Mountain Student Media, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
Today, I am joined by Dr. Joe Von Fischer, Professor and Associate Chair in the Biology Department of Colorado State University, here to talk with us about his work on the proposed Advanced Research Products Agency Climate, also known as ARPA-C, which was recently proposed as part of President Joe Biden's budget proposal. Dr. Von Fischer, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on the show, Ivy. So would you be able to explain to our listeners what ARPA-C is and what it's designed to do? Oh, sure. So uh, the idea came from a group of us who were working together. We asked ourselves, what would we do if we could really um, have an impact on climate change? What, you know, what will it take to really change the course of climate change on a national or global scale? And um, one thing that immediately comes to mind to us as scientists are you know, new technologies for either preventing the emission of greenhouse gases or for sucking greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. But our group included people who study um, social systems and cultural systems, and they said, hey guys, wait a minute, it's not just the technology, it's, uh, it's actually the way technology is used by society. That is that there is a, uh, or one of the words we like to use, an imbrication or a deep weaving of the technology in society um, in a way that, that it's human behavior interacting with technology to alter the Earth's climate system. And we realized that any sort of remedies to climate change have to evolve from, uh, from both the way that humans are using technology. That is, we have to change human behaviors in a way if we want to change climate. Um, you know, and put it back on its uh, more natural trajectory. So ARPA-C was our idea as a group of um, a new division of the federal government or a new standalone agency that would have sort of novel ideas really outside the box, um, would be focused on climate, uh, would involve not just technology, but um, culture and society. Um, and it would also... Uh, Sorry, uh, it, it would also, it, it, at the same time, work to remedy um, sort of injustices that were inherent in our current sort of energy use and, and climate trajectory. So that's the idea. ARPA-C is our vision for a pathway to improve the trajectory of climate change um, by changing human behavior. <laughs> that's a great question. Um, the idea of ARPA that was really um, inspiring for us is that ARPA was uh, an agency, the Advanced Research Products Administration. It was it was designed by to have really smart people, uh, well funded and free to deliver on kind of outside the box novel new products. Um, and so they were, you know, working on. I don't know, microwave ovens and the internet and things like that, um, developing new technologies that were, that were radical in their times. They were mostly defense-oriented, but the spillover of many of these technologies went on to change the, the everyday technology that was available to people. So the idea of a single really smart investigator leading um, a, a well-funded lab to develop new technologies was really inspiring to us. And so we, in our ARPA-C model, we retain that idea of outside-the-box thinking um, good funding, but the idea of delivering at a relatively rapid time scale new uh, products that would that would have direct impact. You mentioned this before um, in the commentary you wrote. Also talks about it how, along with technological considerations, um, ARPA-C is also designed to focus on social and cultural considerations. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about what that means and entails? Sure. Um, 
Well, I think a great example that uh, we've discussed in our group is to look at, at um, the COVID situation, right? By all measures, COVID has been an international disaster, a human crisis of, of incredible scale. Um, and one of the amazing technologies that has emerged from this are these, uh, these vaccines that are publicly available in the US. Anybody could go get them. If we got these vaccines into everyone's arms, um, at an earlier stage, we really could have uh, reduced the spread of the various varieties of COVID that have emerged and saved countless lives. Um, yet there is a cultural component that is halting the um, people getting vaccinated. For some reason, um, a number of people have uh, come to the belief that the COVID vaccine is not a good idea and they are resistant to the idea of getting this vaccine, a significant fraction. And as a consequence, um, I think the, the likelihood of dying is something like 11 times higher if you're not vaccinated as compared to if you are. Nearly all the people who are in hospitals right now with COVID are unvaccinated. Um, and so the consequence of that is, is really um, arising from these cultural effects. So uh, we think that social and cultural uh, thinking and behaviors underlie um, much of the way that technology is, is deployed. And, and we see evidence that uh, social and cultural factors also underlie resistance to climate change uh, action, that is. So the Biden administration recently announced in as a part of its proposal the formation of ARPA-C based on the white paper on uh, that you helped author. Um, would you be able to tell the story of how that came about? Sure. Um, CSU has a number of departments that I think are very familiar to everybody, but across, um, in addition, there are a number of institutes. Um, there's the School of Global Environmental Sustainability, SOGIS, for example. Um, there's another really important um, organization, and that's the Energy Institute on campus. It's largely based out of the College of Engineering. And um, despite it being an engineering uh, program, there are, it draws faculty from across the university. So uh, Lynn Badia, the lead author of our article, is actually a professor of English. Um, Josie Plout comes from the Institute for the Built Environment. John Volkins is a, um, a, an engineering professor, but he does uh, research on um, atmospheric contaminants. All of us are involved with the Energy Institute, and we were part of a, a retreat um, that was charged to ask, or we asked ourselves what we could do about climate change in the way that I was talking about earlier. And so um, our deliberations led to this idea of ARPA-C maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, we realized this was a really valuable idea and um, another affiliate of the Energy Institute is former Governor Bill Ritter. Um, and Bill Ritter is very interested in, in the way that energy is affecting climate. Um, and he, we presented our idea of ARPA-C to him and, uh, and wrote a short uh, few-page white paper um, that Ritter transmitted to the Biden campaign. Um, I don't know the people who were the main actors of the Biden campaign at that time. Um, but but um, Ritter was politically connected, as you can imagine, having been a former Colorado governor and um, knew a number of the people who were in the Biden campaign. So um, shortly thereafter, the, the Biden campaign listed ARPA-C as one of its uh, platforms um, that largely followed the, the, uh, the mechanism that we had proposed. So um, that's kind of a short story of how, how it ended up in the Biden campaign and then ultimately was uh, appeared in the Biden budget this spring. 
Do you think ARPA-C would be able to help the U.S. reach its goal of net zero emissions by 2050? I would like to think so. Um, I think that we recognize, based on the, the COVID example that I gave earlier, that simply developing new technologies alone is not going to change human behavior in the way that we emit climate, uh, climate affecting gases. Um, and so if we're really to make those kinds of changes, I think it's an agency like ARPA-C that's essential for achieving those changes. Um, and so in order for us to, for example, deploy electric vehicles in a widespread manner to reduce um, the transportation emissions, you know, that means we really need to think broadly about how cities are structured, how we allow um, electric and potentially autonomous vehicles to carry people around, how we deploy charging stations. And moreover, um, although the costs of some of these new technologies allow people to, um, to experience cheaper transportation costs, it costs quite a bit of money to acquire an electric car. And so currently, um, electric vehicles aren't something that is accessible to a lot of the population. Um, and so we'd like to think about how we can redesign cities to not only make electric vehicles more accessible um, and more um, culturally recognized and valued, but also how to make them uh, more justly and equitably, equitably um, available to people um, from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, and so I think a program like ARPA-C is well-designed, thinking about culture, society, equity, and technology, and the interface of those um, different facets to, to really make a change. And I think only with um, sort of that network, that transdisciplinary type of group, can we achieve this kind of change. Where should our listeners go if they want to find out more about ARPA-C and other work you've contributed to? <laughs> well, thank you for asking that. Um, one of the things that I'm really interested in is um, developing sustainability more deeply and broadly across the university. So I would be interested if students got a hold of me um, in, in hearing your stories about sustainability and what you would like to do to propel this along. Um, I'd be happy to share those with other collaborators and, uh, and help to find um, uh, a channel for that interest uh, here at CSU. I think ultimately there's quite a heavy burden on those of us who care about climate change. Um, there aren't a lot of people who care about climate change when you think about it globally, and there are even fewer who care about it and are positioned with the sort of the wealth and the influence to do something about it. And as a consequence, those of us who really care need to induce big changes in our system. And so um, I'm looking for like-minded people to, to work together um, to bring about those big changes. And so I invite you to get in touch with me or um, with the Energy Institute or with the School of Global Environmental Sustainability or um, uh, an organization near you that is, um, that is making changes that you think are positive and that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions and improve um, the trajectory of life on the planet. All right, that is all the questions I have. Um, again, I have been speaking with Dr. Joe Von Fisher, Professor and Associate Chair in the Biology Department of Colorado State University. Dr. Von Fisher, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Ivy.
The Poudre River Library District is a learning organization dedicated to providing open and equal access to intellectual freedom for the Larimer County community. At any of the three library locations, CSU students can use their RAM cards as library cards to stream movies and TV shows, access research databases, and check out books and equipment. Learn more at pooderlibraries.org or by visiting one of the three public library locations. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News Highlights for Thursday. At least 26 states passed legislation limiting the public health powers from acting during the COVID-19 pandemic. According to Lauren Weber and Anna Marie Berry-Jester at the Associated Press, proposed bills to weaken public health powers were found from all 50 states, and those that passed permanently weakened the government's ability to act in protection of public health. Kaiser Health News found hundreds of pieces of legislation with this focus, and there could be even more due to some state legislators still being in session. In Arkansas, legislators voted to ban mask mandates outside of private businesses and state health facilities. In Kansas and Tennessee, school boards have the ability to close schools rather than public health officials and experts. 17 states banned vaccine mandates and 16 limited orders on mask requirements, quarantine restrictions, and isolation orders. The World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, is set to review the organization's ban on marijuana. According to Bill Chappelle at National Public Radio, cannabis will still be banned for the 2022 athletic season, but following Shikari Richardson's removal from the Tokyo Olympics, stakeholders addressed how the restriction may be outdated. The organization plans to undergo what they call a scientific review of the status of cannabis, but doesn't have the time to do so before October 1st when their athletes have a have to have a clear list of restricted substances. Richardson faced a 30-day suspension that barred her from competing in the Tokyo Olympics after testing positive for THC use. Many supported her as she went through her suspension due to the drug being legal in many U.S. states and due to her biological mother dying just before the test was done. At least 10 died due to severe heat in Louisiana during Hurricane Ida. According to Nicholas Bogle-Burrows and Katie Regdahl, from the New York Times, power failure in New Orleans caused residents to be without air conditioning or working refrigerators. All 10 of those whose deaths were connected to the heat were elderly. There's some evidence that shows some may have been unable to leave their apartments due to their need for a working elevator. The four incredibly hot days ended on September 5th, a week after the storm came into the state. Multiple days had been 93 degrees outdoors and even hotter indoors without AC, with the final day reaching 101 degrees outdoors. While heat is often not brought up as a cause of death, some investigative reporters believe that those deaths may not be counted properly. One example of this is how the Center for Disease Control reports 700 or less heat-related deaths annually, but studies estimate that up to 12,000 could be dying as a result of heat. The New York Times discovered that 600 people died during the U.S. Pacific Northwest's heat wave in June, in which cities saw temperatures over 110 degrees, where few homes have any sort of air conditioning. Gymnast Simone Biles and three other Olympic gymnasts testified to Congress about ways in which federal law enforcement neglected to act in an abuse case. According to a team of writers at the Associated Press, the gymnasts spoke of the sexual abuse they faced at the hands of USA Gymnastics team doctor Larry Nasser. Biles said in the testimony that she was also a survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of Nasser. This hearing comes as Congress works to hold the FBI accountable for failures in their investigation, including ways in which they allowed Nasser to continue abusing girls and women. In her testimony, she said, quote, 
If you allow a predator to harm children, the consequences will be swift and severe, end quote. The FBI was made aware of allegations against Nasser from at least 40 people in 2015. One supervising FBI agent who'd lied about the success of the investigation was fired by the agency, according to the FBI director, Christopher Wray. Wray apologized on behalf of the FBI during the testimony. The Department of Justice asked for enforcement of Texas's new abortion law to be halted. According to Ariane DeVogue at CNN, the DOJ requested for a federal judge to block its enforcement Tuesday. The abortion law bans anyone from seeking an abortion after six weeks of pregnancy and allows for any private citizen to sue any person or entity that supports someone in getting an abortion. This includes those who live out of the state of Texas. The Biden administration previously filed suit in Texas, claiming that the law was passed despite knowledge that it was a violation of the U.S. Constitution. It's believed that the law could land in the Supreme Court relatively quickly due to its impact on other states' abortion laws and its providers of abortion. The law has no exception for rape or incest. That's all for national news. Now for information on a new art exhibit opening in the Visual Arts Building's Hatton Gallery. Do you hate having paper coupons? You know, I'm not the biggest fan. Well, buddy old friend old pal, I have great news for you. The official coupon book of CSU has an app now. No more paper. Dude, that's revolutionary. The app is available on all Android and iOS devices and can be accessed anywhere. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your horses, cowboy. What kind of deals are we talking about? Good question, my spicy friend. There are coupon discounts available all throughout the Fort Collins area. That is so rad. Ram Deals is a publication of Rocky Mountain Student Media, which is CSU's official student media outlet and partner of KCSU. I'll download that right now. I can't wait to use these puppies. Designers for Glacier opens today, Thursday, September 16th at 4 p.m. in the Hatton Gallery at the Visual Arts Building on campus. It remains open until mid-October and offers CSU students and the community an opportunity to explore the life of Milton Glaser, one of the most prolific graphic designers in the U.S. First, we speak to Sylvia Mingusi, who uses she, her, lay pronouns, and is the director of the Hatton Gallery. She'll give us information on how to get to the exhibit, what students can expect if they go to see it, or if other community members go and see it, what they can expect from the exhibit. So the exhibit takes place from September 16 through October 15 inside the Visual Arts Building in, on main campus in the Hutton Gallery. So if you are not familiar with the Visual Arts Building, but you know where the stadium is, we are the building right next to it. So the exhibition is a homage to one of the most famous uh, graphic designers, Milton Glaser, who recently passed away in 2020 at the age of 91. So a lot of uh, poster exhibitions, biannual and uh, artists and graphic designers came together to create graphic posters in homage to uh, Milton Glaser's life and uh, uh, his work. We have a collection of 86 posters coming from all over the world, mostly like North and South America, but really from all over the world. So it's a real international effort. And the organizers are together with the SIPI, which is the CSU Biannual Invitational International Exhibition that started in 1979 here. 
and uh, the BCB um, poster, uh, international poster organization of Bolivia. They were kind of like the main people that made this effort happen. But I have few acknowledgement to, um, to say about this. We have organizers that go from the National Design Biennial University of Buenos Aires, UBA, the Golden Bee, Consejo International de Diseños de Cartel, uh, Diseñadores Gravidicos de Bolivia, Aurea Foundation for uh, Visual Arts and Design, and FINA International Poster Festival, University of Buenos Aires. So it's a real uh, major international effort, and we are very happy to host it at CSU, because CSU will be the first university to open it, and the only one to open it in person. All the other um, organizations involved, they will have a virtual show. So uh, right from the start, I would say starting from uh, uh, September 20th, the gallery will have a virtual uh, uh, online can we do it again? Yeah. Sorry. I'll pause it. <laughs> right, there you go. Uh, so starting September 20th, um, the exhibition will have a virtual reality tour organized and set on the, um, on the department website, which is art.colosse.edu, and under the Hatton Gallery social media that you'll find um, always under the art and art history social media uh, channels but you'll be able to go and navigate the space from your home if you want, and it will be like a real uh, 3D virtual tour. Roberto Muntorano, assistant professor of graphic design, believes that the exhibition really shows how Glacier impacted the entire world with his art. From Russia to Brazil, Mexico, all kind of like different countries, and everybody doing design honoring Glacier, and also everyone, or almost everyone, wrote a statement about Glazer. So we can see how big was his impact in design world. And uh, also, I used to say that Glazer is one of those designers that crossed the line. So not only designers know about him, but also anyone know about him or anyone already used it, I love New York t-shirt and all those kind of things. And we can see uh, this impact through the designs that we have in the exhibition in all the posters. So we have some posters that's talking about that I love New York, that is one of the most iconic things that he did it, or uh, even Bob Dylan poster, that also is another iconic thing that crossed the line. But we have some designers that did um, a deep exploration. They went to the, some branding work and showing the Brooklyn Brewery, that's something that he did, or showing the aesthetic of his drawings and more organic things. So I think looking at the posters, we can see that it's very broad, uh, the inspiration of Glazer and these other designers and the way they affect people. Even the people that didn't know him uh, in person, we have people that know him in person in the exhibition, we have people that never met him, we have people that have class with him, and we have all those people talking together about how big he was. And I think that as a bit, we have a very nice x-ray about it. John Gravdahl, a professor at Colorado State University who was really a catalyst for the project, gave us some insight into Milton Glaser's life and who he was as a person. He had a long career um, starting in uh, New York City where he was born and he went to uh, art schools in New York and studied uh, graduate school with uh, prominent uh, designers in Italy uh, and then after that came back to work in the United States and uh, began a, uh, a very important and um, 
significant design business with uh, partners of uh, Seymour Quast and uh, Ivan Chermeyev. And that was in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. And they uh, had a different approach, approach about graphic design and illustration, which was very multiculturally influenced, very free form. It was not regulated by a lot of uh, sort of preconceptions or rules they, uh, or style. Uh, what groups are involved with this exhibit and what are the unique perspectives they're bringing to the table in terms of understanding his history? Okay, the, uh, the two, the primary uh, organizations that are bringing this together now are um, our show, the Colorado International Invitational Poster Exhibition, um, and the Biennale of Posters in Bolivia. And uh, they are a different kind of poster show it's, a, it's another international poster show uh, than ours, but uh, we have communi regular communications with, uh, I, I, I describe them as counterparts. They're colleagues and they are counterparts. They have an organizing committee, so do we. Uh, and uh, over the course of time, we, uh, we have been keeping communications with them and a lot of other um, similar organizations in the world. Anyway, Middle of last year, not long after Milton Glaser passed away, the organizer in Bolivia, her name is Susana Machicao, and uh, she's the director of the show in La Paz. And uh, she mentioned that uh, she was planning with her colleagues a tribute to uh, Milton Glaser because he passed away after 91 years. And so, and he's famous all over the world. So uh, most of their designers are not from the American or the United States, and nor are ours, that, that there is all over the world, and they all know Milton Glaser. So um, she organized this, this show. And then as, uh, as the, uh, the time went by, not too long later, uh, COVID uh, was presenting problems for both organizations. Uh, we had to cancel ours because uh, we weren't able to uh, uh, invite people to come visit here. Uh, whether we were gonna have any opening was uh, in doubt. So we, we postponed our show till next year, till the, our 22nd CIPE show. And that's the, that's the word we use for the, the acronym is CIPE, C-I-I-P-E. Um, we're gonna have that next fall. And in the meantime, we were thinking, well, what can we do for something in the Hatton Gallery that would still have a nice design presence in this building? And uh, as we were thinking about it, I got a message from Susana in Bolivia saying that they were having similar problems. You know, they, they had to postpone their show and they were, they have this online show and she didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, you know, I think we have a space we could put it in. And I offered that to her and uh, uh, she took it up right away because uh, our show was very well respected around the world and uh, she knew it very well. and. We've been in communication. She's been in our show. And then how do you think that this exhibit really highlights the artistic value of digital design and graphic creations? Well, it highlights it just by its use. Okay, it's uh, digital uh, design creation is uh, not really an ambition. It's, it's the tool that we have that uh, when, we, when we work with our students and our colleagues, uh, we think about the ideas first uh, and not necessarily what can I do with uh, Photoshop? Uh, if I have an idea that looks better as a, uh, as a collage with cut paper, then that's great. 
Okay, if it's better with Photoshop or Illustrator, whatever gets the job done. We don't have a, a special uh, adherence to uh, any technique. Now, the digital always comes into place because ultimately it has to be photographed and digitized uh, and manipulated uh, and altered so that uh, a lot of the posters that you'll see were done with digital media. My own poster was uh, all done with Illustrator. Okay. Uh, I could have done it with cut paper, but uh, it would have looked different, and uh, I would have made it look fine. <laughs> so, but it's uh, digital media is uh, is not a uh, a bad thing at all. It's obviously uh, it's very important, and it depends on how you use it. All right. You know? So it's uh, uh, all of our students uh, are required to do uh, sketches and drawings before uh, we get to a keyboard. Okay. After when you give me a good idea, it's all about the idea. In design, it's the idea first. If it doesn't have a, if if, if it doesn't have an idea behind it, then it's uh, just a patterned wallpaper. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, there's some. Jason Fraser, an assistant professor of graphic design at Colorado State University, believes that the Designers for Glazer exhibit points out the impact that a graphic designer can have beyond just a few catchy images. One of the things that that students can take away from this is that they can see that a designer's life can be pretty big. They can see that it's, it's a lot more than maybe just a few things that, that people may know right off the front of Glazier's work. And people, as Roberta was saying, you know, the I Love New York for the tourism. Uh, after 9-11, the I Love New York more than ever poster uh, that was, a, you know, honoring uh, his, his city. Um, and then, you know, Bob Dylan and some of those other kinds of iconic posters that he's made and album covers. But he was such a well-known person across the board in design. He was a prolific magazine designer, identity design, packaging. Um, and to see that design is, it can be a lot bigger than one thing, but I think that additionally that, that it can be a lot of fun, that you can use humor and silliness as a perfect part to give off even an important message. So I think a, a big part of what people can take away from this show is you know, not only the, the, the outsized influence he had f on designers and illustrators and artists from around the world, but how enduring that that legacy can be, how important his voice was in just showing the world that, that design, that imagery, uh, things can just, it can make you feel good. That sometimes you just want to, you know, drop something that leaves the world just a little bit better than it was before. Again, this story was on the Designers for Glazer exhibit available at the Hatton Gallery in the Visual Arts Building on main campus. For more information, this story is also available at collegian.com. And if you missed any part of this interview, you can also check it out on kcsufm.com news. We'll be right back. from Slayer, you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. And 
I'm Portia Cook, and these are COVID-19 updates for Thursday. Colorado State University reports over 3,500 cases since May of 2020 among students, staff, and faculty of the university. Over 91% of students submitted either a vaccine card or exemption to CSU, along with over 90% of employees. Over 85% of students attending on-campus classes are partially or fully vaccinated, and over 83% of employees have received at least one dose of an approved vaccine. Under 6% of students have exemptions for the vaccine, and around 7% of employees claimed an exemption. Larimer County and the CDC report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. Larimer County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if you are not already. Wear masks indoors in crowded outdoor settings regardless of vaccination status. Be sure your mask has a snug fit and consider wearing a K9N5 mask or surgical disposable mask. Disposable masks can be adjusted by tying knots in the ear loops. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, consider requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of invited households. If the event is indoors, consider moving it outdoors. And get tested for COVID-19 if you have any other concerns over exposure or symptoms. The county reports a case rate of over 277 per 100,000 residents in the past week. 80 COVID-19 patients are currently in the hospital and ICUs are full at over 100% capacity. There have been 34,000 cases of COVID-19 in the county along with over 270 deaths. The state of Colorado reports over 640,000 cases of COVID-19 and over 7,500 deaths. Over 3,700 Coloradoans are currently receiving hospital treatment for COVID-19, and over 3.3 million are fully immunized in the state. The state now offers gift cards to eligible unvaccinated people at certain sites if they choose to get their vaccine. For more information, go to covid19.colorado.gov. The United States reports at least 40.9 million cases of COVID-19 and nearly 670,000 deaths. Sunday, cases increased by over 33,000 and deaths increased by over 200. In the past two weeks, cases decreased by 7%, but deaths increased by 25%. The United States is experiencing escalating or unchecked community spread in all states, but some U.S. territories are near containment. Information from today's segment comes from the Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the Center for Disease Control, and National Public Radio's Coronavirus Tracker. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Portia Cook, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back. Just mad about me. They call me Mellow Yellow. Quite rightly. Hey yo, it's me, DJ Wired Joe. My show, Sunday Disposition, is from 11 to 1 on Sundays. Tune in and tell me what makes your disposition sunny. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes things need to get a little bit weird. So here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world. 
The governor of Massachusetts is bringing in the National Guard to fill in as school bus drivers. According to WBGH News, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker's office announced Monday that 90 members of the Guard will train to operate 10 passenger vans and be dispatched to Chelsea, Lawrence, Lowell, and Lynn, Massachusetts, all cities that have reached out to the state with help for help with school transportation due to a shortage of drivers. Baker's order makes up to 250 Guard personnel available in total and is a response to, quote, local requests from local communities for assistance with school transportation as the 2021-2022 school year gets underway in the Commonwealth, end quote, according to a statement from the Executive Office of Public Safety and Security. Executive Office of Public Safety and Security said the mission to help out struggling school districts with transportation and staffing shortages will not interfere with the National Guard's ability to respond to emergencies in the state. Police in Manchester, UK, have issued a warning to stores in the city, telling them to be wary of selling cans of beans to young people because of a viral trend. According to the Manchester Evening News, shops have been urged to look out for children buying large quantities of canned beans, while parents are being encouraged to check their cupboards. This is in response to a viral trend that first appeared on the social media app TikTok, called Beaning. Beaning involves children filming themselves smearing baked beans onto people's driveways, doors, and cars. Numerous videos of this type have been posted on the social media with the hashtag, hashtag #BeanBandits. In a public announcement, public community support officer says that quote is become to our it has come to our attention of the police that new trends have been started by groups of youths called beaning. This involves youths throwing the contents of a can of beans over properties, very similar to the trend of throwing eggs at properties. If you work in a shop, please can you be aware of youths buying large quantities of cans of beans. If you have children living at home, please be mindful if you see them removing cans of beans from the family home." End quote. Last month, Surrey police launched an appeal after the village of Warshire, England, was terrorized by so-called bean bandits, with reports of beans being smeared across locals' doorsteps in car windshields. A lawyer in Galveston, Texas, has been charged with a misdemeanor after dressing up as a horror movie character and walking along a beach. According to the Galveston Daily News, Galveston police say that they received a 911 call on Monday about a man walking the beach while carrying what looked to be a bloody knife. Department spokeswoman Sergeant Stacy Papillion says that responding officers stopped the man and put him in handcuffs. That's when they found out the knife and blood were fake. The masked man turned out to be Galveston Island attorney Mark Metzger. Metzger posted pictures of himself on Facebook Monday, dressed as Michael Myers, the serial killer from the Halloween movie franchise. Metzger wrote he was pranking Galveston by wearing the getup and posted a picture of himself standing near the historic Galveston Island Pleasure Pier. Social media posts circulated of Metzger walking on the beach and of him being handcuffed by the police. Papillion says Metzger was cited for disorderly conduct and released. In a second post, made around 7.20 p.m., Metzger wrote his appearance on the beach was about, quote, bringing positive vibes to the doom and gloom out there, generating some laughter, helping people crack a smile, and restoring our faith in humanity through humor. So, if taking a silly walk down the beach during a storm in a costume and subsequently being arrested for disorderly conduct accomplished any of that, then I'd do it again all day, every day. End quote. He acknowledged the misdemeanor charge, but said he was still fuzzy about what, what was illegal about his actions. 
That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And now, for the weather. I'm Portia Cook, and here's your weather for Thursday, September 16th, 2021. It will be partially cloudy today for the Fort Collins area with a high of 92 and a low of 49 degrees. Friday will be a bit cooler with a high of 74 and a low of 48 before heating back up on Saturday with a high of 90 and a low of 60. Sunday will be getting a high of 87 and a low of 56 with a 10% chance of rain. Monday might be rainy with a 40% chance of rain with a high of 75 and a low of 44. And for Tuesday, you'll have to listen in next Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for our next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. I'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Coda Babcock, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Maddie Erskine, Samuel Bailey, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwab, Marie Tanksley, Melissa Ronaldo, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.